Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 142 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. <clears throat> now, speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Also, if you want to keep up with you know the release dates of the episodes ahead of time or any announcements, please follow me on Instagram at Delving Into Islam Podcast. Again, Delving Into Islam Podcast for all the upcoming announcements. Now, this podcast is for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you've been a Muslim all of your life and just want to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. Uh, now, uh, I know that many of you, you guys are looking forward, inshallah, to you know resuming um, the, the major signs of the Day of Judgment. But there are, like I said, there are very critical, important topics that we have to cover as our main topics because they are too big to cover as a Q and A. Uh, you know, in, in terms of like a shorter uh, episodes, we need to take a full like episodes uh, to cover those topics, such as today's topic, such as maybe two, maybe th maximum three more topics. That are again critical, and we have to summarize a few things before we go back to the, inshallah, and we will conclude uh, soon. We will conclude the the season inshallah soon with, you know, uh, concluding the major signs inshallah. So just bear with me, be patient inshallah, and wallahi, every single topic we talk about is critical, and you'll see these are things that, uh, again, I was asked uh, about these things uh, by you guys. But also very critical to address at the same time. So, inshallah, uh, we'll all benefit from that, uh, and you know, it will make it will it will add to our knowledge, inshallah. Now, with that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic comes to us from uh, Sister Lakshima. Uh, first of all, congratulations. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you immensely and accept all the good deeds. Sister Lakshima became a revert. And she's now a Muslim. Uh, congratulations and welcome to Islam. Uh, now, Sister Lakshima has, she comes from, you know, she was raised as Buddhist. Uh, and she comes from, you know, a, a background of a family and herself used to take care of animals, you know, um, uh, basically all the stray animals, they used to take care of them, make sure that they are okay, they're fine. So they have a love and affection for animals. And it makes sense, right? Uh, and she is attached to animals because of, you know, the things she's been doing. And uh, yeah, so her uh, uh, um, question uh, <clears throat> was regarding the treatment of animals in Islam. Like how does Islam, the Islamic perspective on, you know, animals uh, and how they're being treated and, you know, on animal rights, basically. Now, um one thing that Sister Lakshima was talking about, or a few things, is the idea of the sacrificial uh, ritual during the Eid al-Adha, the, the, the second Eid, right after, uh, or right before Hajj, right, or the day of Hajj, my bad, after the day of Arafah. 
and you know we we as muslims if you have money it's it's you you can sacrifice an an animal like a goat a lamb preferably a lamb but again it all depends on what you can sacrifice <clears throat> and we use that to feed the poor and all these things and you know give our families and and take for ourselves like the, the whole the whole idea of you know sacrificing animals for the sake of Allah so she was against it understandably so because of again she always cared about animals so she found it really kind of a hard pill to swallow if you want to call it that's one thing another thing that she notices when you know in in muslim places or muslim lands when they are doing that the way they you know they have to keep the the animal uh, lock it put it somewhere to prepare for the you know the ritual or the sacrificing thing is inhumane or again it's it's cruel or harsh and again she wanted uh, inshallah she wanted me to address that from an islamic perspective so again, Sister Lakshima, thank you so much, and may Allah subhanahu wa taala increase your knowledge and faith. And now, I want to. Uh, this is something we've never tackled here uh, at all uh, on on the podcast, which is animal rights in, in in Islam. And some people might actually think that there's no such thing. Animals? Uh, what are you going to do? You know, it's animals. They're not that important. Let's focus on people, right? And again, people are more important because hellfire and paradise. It's all about people. But at the end of the day, it is something that actually our religion addressed. And throughout history, in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, animals' rights is a thing. Now, today in today's world, animals' rights is under like a, a banner. There is a organization there are many organizations regarding animal rights, protecting animal rights. They the, the could even get a little bit in the political spectrum of things, right? Like some people use animal rights to get into office and all the, it, it's there. And it's more publicized or it's more commercial. And again, when I say commercial, I don't mean it's not sincere. I'm just saying it's more commercialized, if you want to call it. And people now know that there are animal rights organizations and, and so on and so forth. Back in the day, it was not labeled anything. It was there. Animal rights was always there with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And we're going to talk about a lot of beautiful stories, inshallah. But it wasn't labeled as animal rights. Then, of course, now we're progressing to like 2023. And it's, it's been there before. Now, we we have to, as Muslims, to make people, non, at least non-Muslims, who think Muslims never cared about animals. No, now we have, it's halal, by the way, to label those stories, those, those, like all the hadith by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, all these things. That are actually they go under the category of animal rights in Islam. There's nothing wrong with that. They are we're not fabricating hadith. It's all there. We're just categorizing it as it is actually part of the animal rights in Islam. Now, there are a few things I want to clarify before we go on and talk about animal rights. First of all, we always start when we tackle these these issues by asking ourselves: who created animals? It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's no doubt about that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator of every living soul, everything. Okay. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us a few things about animals in the Quran. And the Prophet told us a few things about animals in the Sunnah. And we, as we all know, Sunnah is also Allah's revelation. It's just the wording of the Prophet, right? And we're going to get into that, inshallah, in the next episode. This is going to be a very. A uh, very interesting episode, uh, and I'm not gonna reveal what it is yet. Inshallah, you're gonna you're gonna see that uh, either in the announcements or you know when it's when it's released. But it's it's 
yeah, it's going to be, inshallah, very, uh, like, uh, inshallah, I'm doing a lot of research on what I'm doing. But anyway, I don't want to deviate, but it's like, what we need to know right now is the sunnah comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The wording is different, okay? The Prophet does not speak on from his own mind or his own, you know, desires. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala literally said in the chapter of Najm, So, again, talking about animals, whether Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it's, it's there. We know a few things. So whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about animals, that's what we should follow. Well, whatever the Prophet tells us about animals, that's what we should also follow, right? So I'll just go, and I don't think Sister Lakshima's talking about this issue, but like sometimes people actually are very extreme when it comes to animal rights. So some might say, we're not even supposed to eat animals. We're not allowed to. It's inhumane to eat an animal. Like it's inhumane to like, you know, eat beef, for example, or eat chicken. It's inhumane. We're not supposed to do that. And in this case, we have to hard disagree. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself, Allah himself in the Quran, multiple chapters, and I'm going to recite all the chapters for you right now, or all the verses I mean, told us that animals' sole purpose was created for riding them. If we can reap benefits from them, like milk or honey or whatever, and eating them. Now, not all animals are edible. We have a whole list. That we That was literally, what was it, two episodes ago or three episodes ago, something like that in a Q&A episode, talked about that. what is halal food, what is halal for us, and what is haram, go back and listen to the list, inshallah. But again, when it comes to halal animals, halal animals to eat, Allah saying, yeah, you are allowed to eat it. Their, their purpose, part of their purpose is to be eaten, to be hunted in a specific way. We're going to talk about that. And then eat. So for those who say, and we're talking about like mainly Muslims, who say you can't eat animals, you're going against the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are conditions to eat an animal. Otherwise, there's nothing wrong with that. You have to follow the conditions, hunt the animal, eat the animal in a specific way, or buy it in knowing the source, and that's about it. So again, do not, and this is big deal in Islam, do not, like some people don't eat uh, uh, meat, the vegetarians or uh, vegan, right? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being vegan or being a vegetarian. However, saying that you're not supposed to eat meat is going against what Allah allowed. So it's think about it this way. Allah allowing something, and you're saying, no, 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 this is not allowed. You're not supposed to do it. You saying, if it's not mandatory, which eating meat is definitely not mandatory in Islam, but if you're going against it by saying, I, I don't want to eat meat, I feel weird about it, and it just doesn't make me feel right, then it's fine. You're doing, again, as long as you do not advocate that, you should not do that. This is haram. You're not allowed to do that. Do not advocate that. Because Allah is allowing it. For you not to want to eat from it, it's okay. That's fine. It's, it's your prerogative. That's, that's fine. But you are denying what Allah allowed you know, to people or whatever. This is a problem. So we should not as Muslims do that because this gets in a very you know, dangerous territory. It's like I give a comparison like this. When you are traveling, when you are traveling, and in, during traveling, we're supposed to shorten our prayers. So any prayer that is four rak'ahs, you pray two rak'ahs only. Okay? That is, that is the fact. 
for people who say, I, I want to pray for, first of all, you sh- Allah is allow- giving you the chance to pray only two instead of four. This is out of a mercy from Allah. He's giving you a license, you know, a pass when you are a traveler. But then who, those people, when they go, in the, they go to their friends, the Muslim friends, while they're traveling with them, and they say, you should not pray twice or two rakahs. You should pray all four rakahs. You should do the full-on prayers. Who are you to do that? Allah is telling them they can. You're going and you're basically challenging Allah's ruling. I know people, when they say these things, they don't think that they're challenging Allah. They don't have the intention, hopefully, for the for, for the like the majority of them, they're not trying to challenge their religion. They're not ch- trying to challenge Allah. But it, again, Allah is saying it's okay. You have to keep that in mind. When Allah is saying something, it is allowed, then you cannot say, no, it's not. You're not allowed to do it. It's not. You actually is, you are sinful if you know that Allah allows something and you try to deny it, you know, or to deny people from doing it. So again, if you want to keep Again, it's your own preference. If you don't want to do something, if you don't want to eat meat, that's fine. Uh, however, it's that's okay. again, if if you don't want to eat meat because you feel weird about it, it's fine. But w- w- regarding like praying Torah cause and whatever, it's actually highly recommended. And if you go against it just to go against it, then you actually disbelieved. There's a hadith when someone came to Abdullah ibn Umar, the the son of Umar ibn al Khattab, who is a companion as well, and he was a new reaver, and he said. Something in the context of like, why do I have to pray only two rakahs while I'm traveling? So, get what, guess what was the response of Ibn Abmur? He said, "What the prayers for the traveler is two rakahs again, meaning in terms instead of four. But when you pray Maghrib, you pray Maghrib still three rakahs. So Maghrib is the only prayer that you pray pray at full because it's not four rakahs, so you still pray three. But if any prayers like Dhuhr, the the noon prayers, afternoon prayers, Asr." Or Isha, they, if you're still a traveler, then you pray two rakahs instead of four. So Ibn Umar said, to make it mess, for example, like to verify, he said, the prayers for the traveler is two instead of four, and whoever disobeys that command has disbelieved. If you go against the sunnah on purpose to just, I don't know, some people do that. Then you disbelieved. It's that simple. So going back to eating meat and, and, and animals. So you should not recommend people or advocate against eating meat. If you don't want to eat meat, that's fine. Now you could advocate against animal cruelty. Absolutely. Islamically speaking, you should. But eating meat in general, it's, it's that you should not do that. So that is one thing. And I'm addressing that extreme. Now, to have some proof from uh, the Quran and the Sunnah regarding you know eating animals, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in the chapter of Nahl, verse number five. وَالْأَنْعَامَ خَلَقَهَا لَكُمْ فِيهَا دِفْءٌ وَمَنَافِعُ وَمِنْهَا تَأْكُلُونَ Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is saying Allah Subhanahu wa Taala created for you the animals, the livestock. Look at this. لَكُمْ فِيهَا دِفْءٌ you can, and Allah, Allah is saying that, Allah, the creator, Allah is saying, خَلَقَ لَكُمْ I created for you. So that shows you that this is the purpose of certain animals. So you can use uh, use them, their skin, or I mean their fur, or their skin to basically have warmth in cold weather. Jackets, uh, you know, cover yourself. وَمَنَافِعُ You can reap benefits from them. Like for example, cows, 
you know, with producing milk, bees producing, uh, you know, honey, goats and all are like, again, milk with goats. And you can, from the milk, you can extract cheese and food and whatever. This is all halal in Islam. As long as, as long as it's done in a humane way. That is key here. وَمِنْهَا تَأْكُلُونَ And then the end of the verse Allah said, and from it you shall eat. After you do all of this, you can also eat from it. You know, that's the chapter of Nahl, verse number five. By the way, the, the, the chapter that we're reading from, it's called the, the bees, and Nahl. Nahl in Arabic means bees. Which brings me actually to a very interesting thing. There are many chapters in the Quran that are named after animals to show you that Allah honors his creation from the animals. Such as what? We have a chapter, the second chapter in the Quran, the most famous chapter in the Quran, Al-Baqarah, chapter number two. It's literally the cow. Al-Baqarah translates in Arabic to cow. You have the chapter of Al-Fil, the elephant. The chapter of An-Naml, the ants. The chapter just we, that we just read from, An-Nahl, the bees. We have the chapter called Al-Ankabut, the spider. We have another chapter called Al-An'am, which is the livestock. So, this these are the names of chapters in the Quran. They're named after animals. And of course, each chapter has a significance and why that specific animal was named. Of course, these are things that are, you know, again, explained in the chapters themselves. So, it's very interesting. Another thing, another chapter that shows you that Allah is allowing certain things uh, you know, when it comes to animals, the chapter of Ghafir, verse number seventy-nine. Allah subhanahu wa taala said, "What? Allah created animals for you so you can ride them. So that's another thing now. Ride them and wa and you can eat from them later, such as camels, for example. You can ride camels and eat them later. The chapter of al waqa verse number twenty-one. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying People, the believers, the people, the dwellers of paradise They shall eat from uh, the meat of birds Of course it's cooked And they would love the taste of They would be craving that the taste of that meat Again, this is Allah talking about his own creation So there's nothing wrong Again, there is a big asterisk here We should be humane We have to Actually, it's not we should We're sinful if you we're not humane to animals, we are allowed to eat them in this life, and inshallah we shall be eating them in the hereafter, and again in a very humane way or a very kind way. So that is that. Now, same thing applies to sacrificing animals. When the Eid comes, the Eid al-Adha, and you see Muslims. Uh, again, buying lambs, going to the butcher, doing whatever. Again, it's, it varies depending on the country. And they are sacrificing animals. Now, Lakshima's saying, I don't, like she knows a little bit about the story behind it. And we all know the story. Uh, I think we mentioned it before, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to test Prophet Abraham. So this is not just a Muslim thing. This is not Prophet Muhammad's thing only, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. No. This all goes all the way back to Prophet Ibrahim, Abraham, which is the father of all the Abrahamic religions, hence the name Abrahamic religions, which is what Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to test him by giving him a dream. Now, we know that dreams 
for prophets are what? They're not random stuff like we have. They are messages from Allah. Prophets do not get random dreams. It's a message or a vision into the future. So Prophet Abraham saw that he is slaughtering his own son, Prophet Ismail, Ishmael. Right? He saw that in while he was asleep. So he knew immediately that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is basically asking him to slaughter his own son. A sacrifice for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, he's a father and it's difficult. But guess what? That's why he's a prophet and your average father or average dad is not. He knows it's difficult, but he's like, I'll do what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded me to do. He went to talk to his son. By the way, his son is also a prophet, by the way. And he said, Ya Bunaya, inni ara fil manami, inni azbahuka, fanduru madha tara. And again, this is in the chapter of Safat, verse number 102. This is basically telling us the conversation between Prophet Abraham, Ibrahim, and his son, Prophet Ismail. And he said, basically, I saw, I saw, I keep seeing in my dreams that I'm slaughtering you. Literally. So what do you think? He's basically telling his son, what do you think? He's not, and do you see like that? The, the, the humanity in this He didn't like say I'm, He didn't grab his son And like tied him up And he's like I'm just gonna do it right now No This is a prophet He wants to do what Allah told him But first he's asking his son Hey what do you think is that? Like what do you think is that all about? And of course his son understood He keeps seeing this My father keeps seeing this That means it's not a dream It's not a random dream This is a message from Allah Look at the response قَالَ يَا أَبَتِ إِفْعَلْ مَا تُؤْمَرْ Prophet Ismail didn't say, no, 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 no. What are you doing? No, 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 no. Something is not right. Something is not right. I'm, I'm out of here. No. He said, oh, my father. Oh, my father. Look, this is, wallahi, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. He's saying what? Ifal ma tu'mar. Do what you were asked to do. Satajidni insha'allahu minasabirin. You will find me insha'allah from those who are patient. Can you imagine the amount of faith the father and the son are having right now? Think about Wallahi, I want you to think about it. And I know this is not about the animal right now, but I'm just, it's fascinating. Prophet Abraham is getting a message from Allah, slaughter your son. He doesn't say, oh Allah, why me? Why me? Why did you choose me? Like many people would do. And complain. Nope, this is a message from Allah. This is a verdict from Allah coming, a ruling. I'm going to do it. Let me go talk to my son about it. You don't think this was hurting him? Of course it was. But again, there's a reason why. He was a prophet of Allah because he knew that Allah comes first. Allah's commands always, always come first. So he went and told his son, and look at the son. And instead of like going crazy and leaving the, his father's house and what, he's like, no, oh, Abati, do whatever you were told to do. And inshallah, I shall be from those who are patient. Now look at this. <clears throat> Same chapter of Safat. Verse number 103 now. He was about to slaughter him. He was about to. That's it. Done. 
It's not just conversation and it's just wording. He was about to slaughter him. He literally grabbed his head, literally physically grabbed his head and held the knife and was about to slaughter him. Look at what happened after. وَنَادَيْنَاهُ أَيَّا إِبْرَاهِيمُ قَدْ صَدَّقَتَ الرُّؤْيَا إِنَّا كَذَلِكَ نَجْزِ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Look at this. إِنَّ هَذَا لَهُوَ الْبَلَاءُ الْمُبِينَ وَفَدَيْنَاهُ بِذِبِحٍ عَظِيمٍ Allah is saying, now this is all, this again, the following verses from, again from, uh, verse number 104 all the way to uh, 107. So the whole story starts in the chapter of Safat, verse number 102, all the way to 107. Now let's go back to translate. So he was about to slaughter his son, and then I called him, Allah saying, I called him and I said, O Ibrahim, you believed and fulfilled the vision that I gave you. That's why I say it's a message from Allah. The message from Allah. Ru'ya. Ru'ya is a vision in Arabic. And again, like I said, when prophets uh, get dreams, that's a vision from Allah or a message from Allah. Same thing. Look at this. Wallahi. And I know we deviated from the, 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 the topic, but this is fascinating. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling Prophet Ibrahim something that is significant for us to understand. He's telling him, I gave you a very difficult message, a very difficult request. But that's how I reward the believers. By putting them through tests, difficult ones sometimes. It all depends on the level of your faith. Imagine a father is being told by Allah without a shred of doubt. This is not someone scamming him. This is Allah. You should slaughter your own son. It was a test for both, by the way. Not just for Prophet Ibrahim, salam. It's also a test for Prophet uh, Ismail. It was a test for both of them. And they both passed the test. Then Allah saying what? This is indeed a difficult bala. This is a very difficult hardship, a difficult calamity that I gave you. A difficult test. Look at Allah's reward in this life now for Prophet Ibrahim. Allah immediately sent a lamb to replace Prophet Ismail to be slaughtered instead of Prophet Ismail. That is in the chapter of Safad, verse number 107. Allah immediately, no, there's a reward in the hereafter, but there is a reward in this life, which was all, again, it was all a test. And this is our purpose, my dear brothers and sisters, to be tested by Allah. It might seem cruel. It might look cruel. It might feel cruel. But Allah is never cruel. Rest assured, Allah is never cruel. Things that might seem cruel, and again, we're talking about things that are done by Allah. For example, this ruling right there. Some people might be like, why would God want to torture and, and make some sort of a sacrifice to a lamb? First of all, lambs do not feel that in pain. When they are being sacrificed for the sake of Allah, trust me, they don't feel pain. And I'm going to give you the proof, but just give me a second. What Allah asks us to do, trust me, it is the best option ever. It is the best ruling ever because it's coming from perfection, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And Allah created those animals. So he knows what's good and what's not good for them. So again, this is a test for us as well. Reading this story, understanding it, this is a test for all of us. Don't think what Allah is doing is cruel. Now, people could handle it in a cruel way. People could slaughter an animal in a very inhumane way. This is a different story. We're talking about the concept of pure sacrifice for the sake of Allah in a humane and Islamic way. This is okay. You cannot go against it. Okay? Now, the idea of slaughtering. And by the way, I have another listener who uh, by the name of Emery, I believe, uh, Emery sent uh, 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 an email to me. And again, Emery, thank you so much for you know reaching out and for your question. And he's basically saying, he sent two questions, but I'm going to address this one for now. He's basically saying that you know he has many non-Muslim friends and he doesn't know how to explain the Qurban in Eid, which is the sacrifice in, in, in Eid. And again, a lot of people are, you know, think this is cruel. And uh, he could not, he doesn't have a, what's the word, a proper way of explaining that to them. So this is, and again, especially to atheists, no, no, no this is the thing though. Uh, when it comes to atheists, nothing that you will explain to them in terms of rituals would make sense to them. They don't believe in the existence of God. They don't believe in him. So whatever you do, it's it's just to them, it's going to be pointless. And it doesn't make any sense. Unless they start to reflect. You should talk to your friends about reflecting who God first is, who is God, and the proof that God exists. Like we gave so many, alhamdulillah, on the podcast. Then you talk to them about God's rulings. You understand? If they have a problem with the existence of God, they'll never understand the rulings. For other people, you should explain to them that this is first of all the story. It's a mercy from Allah. It's a mercy from someone. Why would God go through all? Why would he do all of this? Why is this whole story, right? Because Allah tests people and everyone is tested differently. And Allah knows what's going to happen. Some people might say this. And I want to, again, I I don't want to stay away from the topic of the animals, but... Some people might say, when Allah knows the future, He knows the outcome. Why testing you in the first place? We always said this when we talked about destiny. Allah never judges you based on what you could have done. You have to do it for Allah to either give you the reward and sometimes with the intentions, right? So within, even when it comes to rewards, you don't even have to do it. With the intentions is good. But when it comes to punishment, failing your test, you have to do the sin. Allah knows if you're going to sin or not because he sees the future, not because he makes you do it. We still have the freedom of choice. Trust me, we do. But Allah knows in advance because he sees the future. What are you going to do? You have to do it for Allah to punish you. Do you understand? Like, for example, if a baby is born and they're supposed, Allah knows the future, they're supposed to do horrible things. But then they die or something. I mean, if they die, then there's no future to see in the first place. But let's say I'm just going to give you a kind of a silly example. They've never done anything wrong, then that's it. But in that this case, if someone is meant to do to do wrong, and we talked, I don't want to go into the, the, the destiny topic, but again, Allah knows the future. So Allah knows that Prophet Ismail and Prophet Ibrahim will pass the test, but he has to give them the test for them to be rewarded for it. Do you understand? And also for us to understand how it works. Testing from Allah is normal. Those who deny Allah's test, they want to, again, I'll always give the same question. People who ask, why are we being tested? Why can't we just go to paradise straight up? Here's the answer. 
Why do you need to pass your test to graduate? Why do you need to pass a job interview to get the job? You don't question those people. You don't question those organizations. You don't question you know, colleges and universities. You don't do that because it's a given. You have to pass a certain test to get what you want. A lot of people think it's crazy when it comes to paradise. Well, some, and I know that some people actually, I, uh, one of the listeners asked that, well, Allah is capable of, you know, getting us into paradise. Well, your professor is also capable, and I'm not comparing Allah to a professor. I'm just giving you a live example. The professor could make you pass without taking the test. They don't do it because it's unfair to others who study hard, who work hard. You just want the lazy approach. You want Allah to put you in, in, in paradise without any tests, without any trials, without any tribulations, while other people are being tested, while other people are worshipping Allah day and night. It doesn't make any sense. Now, let me take it even further. Some people might say, well, I don't, why would Allah even you know, test those other people? Let's just no tests, period, for everyone. Yeah, but then how would Allah distinguish between the good and the bad and the best and the elite and the, those who are in between? Allah, there are levels to your faith and to your rewards, by the way, in the hereafter. Now, like I said, Allah knows who's going to hellfire, who's not, who's going to paradise, and who's going to be in the middle. But you have to do the act because Allah is fair. So you want the lazy approach? Apply this to your life. Do not go to work and ask to get paid. See what happens. See what happens. You're going to sleep in the streets. You're not going to, you're going to die from hunger. It's that simple. So again, Allah was testing now, this is to Emery. Emery, if you want to tell, uh, you know, uh, explain to your, to, your, to your friends, this is the way to explain to them the story and tell them that this is part of God's rituals with his prophets. And by the way, prophets and messengers are the most to be tested and trialed. That's it. It's that simple. It's actually sending the lamb. Sacrificing a lamb is, by the way, animal sacrifice is in all religions. They just, some are like gave away or give it up and some didn't. Since alhamdulillah our religion is as as intended to be, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended for the religion to be preserved since it is the last religion, right? It will always be inshallah preserved until the day of judgment. We will follow the text to to the T. When we're supposed to sacrifice, we'll sacrifice. Some people try to modify the religion and said, no, it's not necessary. Not us. That's my point. So anyway, uh, Emery, I hope that answers your question. So I want to go back to, uh, and again, we do it in a humane way. So we don't judge people, Muslims, who do the sacrifice in a very inhumane way. That's not what Islam says. Uh, so going back to, again, Lakshima's, uh, now this is the part about you know sacrifice. So the idea of sacrifice, you can go against it. However, it has to be done in a humane way. And the rituals must be done also in a way. Now, some people, change the rituals according to their culture this is not allowed to say that this is part of islam and i know some people do weird things when it comes to uh the i don't know i don't even want to mention because i don't know how accurate those things that i read on but again it just has to be a very human and i'm going to talk about the rituals by the way we'll talk about how how you should hunt an animal or not even hunt kill an animal for the sake of you know eating it and all these things we're going to talk about that now I want to go back to a, a point that I mentioned, which is when animals are being sacrificed for the sake of Allah, they don't feel pain. 
because they know this is their purpose. Now, what is the proof? Remember I said I had a, I have a proof from the sunnah. This is actually a very famous, recorded, authentic incident in the biography of the Prophet And we talked about that, I believe, when we talked about hajj. When the Prophet was going to perform hajj, and at the time came for the animal sacrifice in, in the terms of like the hajj rituals, right? Guess what happened? All the animals started competing and running and fighting one another to go and reach the Prophet ﷺ first so the Prophet ﷺ would slaughter them first. This was a sight that the companions could not believe. This happened in front of everyone. Animals were fighting to be which one to be slaughtered first. They were competing with one another. Can you imagine? Now you tell me, and this is a miracle, of course, this is not normal. That doesn't happen in our time right now. It is a miracle, but the very specific miracle that shows you what? First of all, the animals were wanted to be blessed to be slaughtered by the hand of the Prophet. That is number one. Number two, animals know their purpose. They know that to be, they're supposed to be slaughtered and to be slaughtered in the most authentic, Islamic way, humane way, because who else would do it better than the Prophet? It shows you that they don't feel pain when they are slaughtered in the right way, sacrificed in the right way for the sake of Allah. Because if animals, they no animal go to their death if it's going to be painful and torturous. No, none of them will do that. So there is a reason why, because they knew that they wouldn't feel pain and it is a blessing. Animals, for God's sake. Animals. Wallah, it was, it's, it's an incredible scene. If you think about it, if you imagine the scene, fighting and speeding and racing to get to the Prophet ﷺ, which one would get first? Can you imagine this? And that shows when they are being sacrificed in the right way, according to the Sharia, they won't they don't feel pain. It is a good thing because they're being, you know, sacrificed for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is uh, regarding that. Now, to, I want to conclude this first part. Sacrificing animals for the sake of Allah is necessary because Allah told us so. Allah is the one who created animals. You're not going to be more kind to animals than the one who created them. Rest assured, put that as a rule. Put that as a rule. For all the animal rights activists out there, or all people who love animals and they feel like, you know, animals should not be slaughtered or should not be sacrificed or all these things should not be benefited from. You will never, if you live a thousand years in your entire thousand years life, you will never be more merciful and more kind and more, you know, loving and passionate about animals more than the one who created them. Rest assured. You can't be more merciful than Allah. It's, it's, it's impossible. You can't be more kind than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah has something that you will never have. He is their sole creator. So if you think that this is cruel, and again, we're talking about the good way, the authentic halal way of sacrificing. We're not talking about the inhumane way. That's a different story we're going to talk about. Don't, don't think like that because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the ultimate merciful. And Allah is saying it is allowed. It should be done. We should benefit from those animals. We, and we provided all. And again, there's a lot, by the way, there are a lot more verses. I just, for the sake of time, I didn't want to recite all of them. Allah 
tells us what to do with his own creation. We get the rules from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not from our own emotions or desires. I know it's difficult. And again, like I said, it could be a test for us. We have to understand this is coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now let's talk about treating animals now in Islam. The actual animal rights in Islam. First of all, we are commanded, and there is no debate about this, we're commanded in the Quran and in the Sunnah to treat animal kindly. As a matter of fact, look at this. Let me tell you the, the list of forbidden things that we're not allowed to do when it comes to animals. It is forbidden for a Muslim, it is haram, literally haram, forbidden, for a Muslim to use animals for target practicing. As a matter of fact, the Prophet said, anybody who does this, who uses animal for target practicing, is cursed by Allah and His Messenger. Cursed. Can you imagine? Cursed by Allah and His Messenger. You know, one time, again, uh, Abdullah ibn Umar, uh, the son of Umar ibn al-Khattab, he was walking in the streets of Medina. Then he saw a group of Muslims, a group of people, who had, he, they were basically hanging chicken, I think by the legs or something, for target practicing. They saw him. Now, Abdullah ibn Umar, the son of Umar al-Khattab, was well-known companion. They saw him, and some sort of a guilt kind of thing happened to them. They felt like they were doing something wrong. So they immediately scattered. They ran away. And they, were, they weren't little kids. They were grown-ups. But not from the elite of the companions. The, 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 the companions that we know would never do that. So, of course, he didn't let it go. He went, and then he asked for those who did that. And he said, who did this? Literally, man fa'ala hadha? Who did this? And then he said this, because our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam cursed whoever uses animals as target practice. So, of course, they immediately took down the chicken. And, again, they felt embarrassed to be, you know, humiliated by this. And, again, imagine that one of the companions, someone who knows the Prophet ﷺ, came to you and told you the Prophet ﷺ curses what you're doing right now. He says that whoever does what you're doing will be cursed. Of course, it was a big deal. And they immediately, uh, you know, regretted what they've done. Also, it is forbidden for Muslims to abuse animals for sports or any type of entertainment. That is out of the question. You can't even question that. It is also forbidden to torture animals while hunting them. Like we said, while sacrificing them. We have to do something called the clean kill. What is a clean kill? How do we sacrifice an animal or hunt an animal for the sake of eating? First of all, you have to sharpen the blade very hard because you don't want the animal to suffer by a cold blade, right? If you use a cold blade, the animal will feel the pain. But if you sharpen, that's why we said, if you do it the right way, the animal won't suffer and it is actually a blessing if you are sacrificing them. But if you're eating them, it's a different story. If you're eating them, of course, that's when, when it comes to now, what is halal meat? Everybody asks. Now, we mentioned, like I said a couple of episodes ago, what is halal meat? But I never mentioned the process of slaughtering a halal in a halal way. Well, this is it. The blade must be very sharp. And you should not show the blade to the animal before you slaughter it. Can you imagine? 
because of the emotions and the mental state of the animal, you should hide the blade. As a matter of fact, the Prophet one time saw a companion sharpening the, the blade in front of a lamb before he was about to slaughter it. Look at what the Prophet said. He said what? Do you wish to kill this animal or this lamb twice? You want to kill it mentally and emotionally by letting, letting it watching you sharpen the blade. It knows you're about to kill it. So you want to kill it twice by watching you doing this and then actually slaughtering it? Do not show the lamb the knife. That was a command from the Prophet ﷺ. So again, the concept of a halal slaughter. Dabiha, by the way, the word dabiha in Arabic. So we all know dabiha, dabiha meat, dabiha meat. For those of you who don't know, the word dabiha, which is equivalent to halal meat, the word dabiha literally means slaughtered. Dabaha is a slaughtered. So slaughtered meat, slaughtered animal, dabiha. So these are. this is actually the fascinating process of getting to a halal meat in the first place. Clean kill. Sharpening the blade in a very, very, uh, you know, professional way so they don't suffer, very sharp. And then again, hide the blade from the animal. You don't want cause, to cause basically a distress to the animal by watching you sharpening the blade or watching you holding the blade and taunting it, right? So that is one thing. Another thing is comfort the animal during the moment of death. Can you imagine? Comfort the animal. During the moment of death. You guys know the first Avatar movie. The, 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 you know, the James Cameron uh, Avatar movie. Uh, there is a scene, the, the, this creature, the Avatar creature, was teaching the main, the protagonist, how to kill an animal. And she literally, I believe, said a clean kill. You have to do a clean kill. And what did he do? Go back to, I don't know if this clip is online or whatever. It's in the movie. I've seen the movie multiple times, so I know it's there. When he's about to kill the animal, with the, with the of course, he didn't slaughter it. In a, he was killing, the, stabbing the animal. But then he was basically trying to comfort the animal, you know, trying to pat the, uh, to pat the animal, trying to, you know, comfort it, talk to it. It's crazy. And to them in the movie, based on the movie, stand, this is a clean kill, a humane kill, right? Guess what? Islamically speaking, more around, you know, close to 1500 years ago, that's what the Prophet told us to do. I know it's a movie, but I'm saying even to in the movie, they're showing you that this is, this is like supposedly the hero's journey to do this. And imagine this. In Islam, exactly 1445 years ago, the Prophet told us that this is the way to slaughter an animal, comfort the animal. It's fascinating. Now, there's another hadith where the Prophet said, said this. He said, any person who kills even a sparrow without a right, he or she will be questioned by Allah on the day of judgment regarding that animal or that sparrow, whatever. Then the companions asked, so what is the right of an animal, O Prophet of Allah? The Prophet said, look at this, that it would be hunted for the sake of feeding ourselves and it wouldn't be cast away. When you kill an animal, you do it in the, pro in the steps that we mentioned. 
in a very humane way and you do it when basically for the sake of your eating from it and uh not to just you know cast it aside or just to kill it for the sake of killing that is the right in terms of slaughtering an animal okay hunting animals for sport is 100% haram okay 100% forbidden now another story the prophet one time entered a garden of someone from Medina, from the Ansar. The Ansar are the basically the Muslims of Medina. That's their name, the Ansar. Then he found that man's camel. So the camel came to the Prophet ﷺ and it started crying to the Prophet. ﷺ. Like the companions around the Prophet ﷺ could hear it's it's crying and it sounded like it's saying something to the Prophet. ﷺ. But of course to them it wasn't speaking. Can't speak, it's a camel, right? So the Prophet ﷺ started wiping the tears of the camel. Look at our Prophet ﷺ, our role model, my dear brothers and sisters. This right there, that man, that blessed man, the best man, the best man, the best human being ever created and the best human being that will ever be on the face of this earth. He's wiping the tears of a camel. Learn. And I'm, by the way, talking to myself as well. Then after he, you know, finished wiping the tears of the camel, the Prophet told the companions, get me the owner of the camel. So the owner came. He's like, who's the owner of the camel? They brought him in. He said this. He said, your camel complained about you overworking it and not feeding it enough. So it actually did speak to the Prophet ﷺ. And again, this is a miracle. We should not be surprised. Spoke. To the rahmatan lil alameen, to what Allah called a mercy for all of mankind. Allah subhanahu, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He was describing the Prophet in the Quran, He said, What? I only sent you only as a mercy for mankind. It's a mercy from Allah through the Prophet. Again, in terms of like teaching us the truth, not staying in darkness for the rest of our lives, and also in terms of treatments like this. To be kind to one another, even to the animals. And that's why the animals knew who he was. So they came and they complained to him directly. He could understand the language. So he said, do not ever overwork or torture this animal. Because this animal right there, that you think it's just a random camel, a useless camel, or a camel that will never cause you harm, will harm you on the day of judgment. Because Allah will punish you if you on purpose torture it or mistreat it. It is also forbidden, by the way, to brand animals. Branding animals, specifically on the face, is forbidden. One time the Prophet ﷺ, another story, the Prophet ﷺ passed by a branded donkey. So he went to the owner straight up and he said, didn't you hear that I cursed those who brand animals in their faces or even punched? If you strike an animal on their face or in their face, the Prophet cursed you, cursed people who would do that. By the way, for those of you who don't know, boxing is haram in Islam because we are also forbidden to fight each other or hit each other on the face. So boxing is not allowed in Islam, just to let you know. I know it's a brief thing, but the Prophet told us we should not strike each other on the face and we should never strike animals on the face. So this is a pure command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the Prophet you know, let me give you a story by the Prophet ﷺ again. Another hadith, 
authentic hadith by the Prophet ﷺ regarding those who torture animals. There was a woman, and this is a very famous story, who entered hellfire. Now, she didn't enter yet, but she's written from those who will be in hellfire because of an animal, a cat. Yep, because of a cat. What did this woman do? She basically prevented, she locked up a cat, preventing the cat from eating and drinking water. It literally imprisoned the cat out of God knows what. I don't know what was going on through her mind or in her mind at the, at the moment, but she literally deliberately imprisoned the cat, preventing it from eating, drinking any water until the cat literally died. The Prophet said, because of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will admit her in hellfire. By the way, that also uh, brings up a very interesting topic about cages and imprisoning animals. Let's say you have a bird in a cage. What's the verdict on that? Well, by the way, the unanimous consensus of the scholars is that it's fine as long as you're taking care of it, you're feeding it, because, you know, flying it away, that means that bird won't be taken care of. Of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care of all the birds flying. But again, if you have a bird that you're treating it well, you are giving it food, water, all these things, and they happen to be in cages because if you, they get out of the cage, they're going to fly away or whatever, then this is uh, fine, inshallah. And this is, again, the unanimous consensus of the scholars. Based on this hadith, they're saying this is different. That woman imprisoned the cat to torture it and denied it food and water. So this is a different case. Now, Another story, the Prophet ﷺ went to, you know, relieve himself, like went to the bathroom. And while he was there, the companions were waiting for him. And then they saw a sparrow and that sparrow had its two baby sparrows, if you want to call them. It's two babies, like almost newborn. So the companions were not trying to uh, abuse the animal, but they took the two babies. They were looking at them. They were just holding them. They couldn't fly yet. So they were holding them. Which caused the mother, the sparrow, to start flapping her wings out of distress. She saw those men taking her babies. And she started flapping out of distress. Like she's distressed. She's freaking out. And it happens to be that the Prophet was done. He came back. And then he said, what have you done? Who caused, and look at this, devastation. Upon this sparrow by taking her children. Return her children right now. Again, the companions were not abusing the children. They were just looking at it, holding it, saying subhanAllah. And the Prophet immediately said, give her back her children. She's being distressed. Stop. This is our Prophet By the way, the companions, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them, radiallahu anhum, they learned through these stories from the Prophet and they became like like subhanallah they became some of the most animal rights activists at the time if you want to call it because they used to treat animals with kindness and passion because of what the Prophet told them and instructed them to do the Prophet one time he was uh, saw a camel that didn't seem well it seemed like it was overworked you know it seemed like it's always hungry and then the Prophet told the owner look at this Fear Allah in those animals who cannot speak for themselves now. Because by Allah, you will pay the price in the hereafter. 
they will speak, by the way, animals will speak on the day of judgment against their abusers. You have to know that. This is a fact. It's a hadith by the Prophet. Any animal that you have abused will talk to Allah in front of you on the day of judgment and will speak and will say, So and so abused me. So the Prophet said, Be careful. They can't speak now. But on the day of judgment, it's a different story. Then the Prophet uh, continued by saying, Ride them healthy and eat them healthy. Meaning what? Feed them and write them in a good manner, not in an abusive way. And when you eat them, when you decide to, you know, sacrifice them or slaughter them, like we said, do the whole clean kill or the halal way of killing them. Now, that brings me to another point. We're not allowed. Here's something that a lot of people don't know. And I know that not a lot of us know about this because we don't ride animals uh, for transportation, and this hadith is regarding riding animals for transportation. The Prophet said what? He said, do not talk to each other and take too long while riding on animals. So for example, if you and I are riding animals and you know, for transportation, we're going from point A to point B and I see you midway. So we decided to talk. Okay, so we decided to talk. So I'm still on my, let's say horse. And you're still on yours. And we're talking. We have a conversation midway. And we're just chilling. What happened to you? How is you know, family? How is everything? The Prophet forbade that. Because the Prophet said, animals are not couches. They are beings. They have souls. Do not take too long talking to one another while you're riding an animal. Get off the animal and go talk. Put the animal in a place safe, right? And talk. But while you're sitting on the animal... Do not take too long talking because it is, again, inhumane for the animal. You're overworking the animal. Now, speaking of actually riding horses, uh, I, alhamdulillah, I like to ride horses one, once in a while. It's, it's a very fascinating experience. If you guys haven't tried it, please do. And there was an incident. There was, uh, I went to a place, uh, it was a, like a farm. And uh, we, I, I was, me and my friends were supposed to do horseback riding. And then uh, there was this horse called Apple. I like the way it looked. Uh, I think it, it was a male horse, and uh, he was a white horse. The, I think the only white horse at the time when we went that was free. And I wanted to ride it, but then the guy, the owner said, this is a very rebellious horse. You should not ride it. And I was like fascinated by a re- the idea of a rebellious horse. I've never ridden on a rebellious, rebellious. I know horses can be rebellious, but I've never, you know, rode on a rebellious horse before. So I said, I insisted. I was like, well, if it's too dangerous, why are you putting it there? Right. Um, and he said, well, it's not that, but like, you know, it could give you a hard time and it could be stubborn. And I'm like, it's just, I'll try it. It's, it's going to be fun. Well, it's a true story. I get on the horse and the horse was actually stubborn. It was very stubborn. It wouldn't move when I wanted it to move. And I was literally all the way back. Everyone I know was in front of me. And I was on the way back. And I started reading Quran, reciting Quran to it. Wallahi. And I was like, hey, Apple, we're going to be buddies, you know. Inshallah, we're going to do great. And I would recite Al-Fatiha, the first chapter in the Quran. And I would say, subhanAllah, bismillah, bismillah, bismillah. And I would like, you know, uh, talk to him in a gentle way, all these things. And Allah's my witness, wallahi. It's like we formed a bond. He became very obedient. After he became stubborn and he wouldn't move whenever I wanted it to move, became very obedient. 
Wallahi, as if he understood the words talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, and he started moving. As a matter of fact, he, I started running with him. Like I started, you know, speeding up, and it was Wallahi, Wallahi, since uh, I recited the Quran to him or to it, yani, but him, it's a, it was a male, then it was Wallahi. Very obedient and very fast. Whenever I wanted it to run, it would run. Whatever I wanted to slow down, it would slow down. It was fascinating. Fast, and it became all the way, you know, ahead of everyone. And it was just a very incredible experience. Because they know, animals know, when you talk about Allah, they understand Allah. They understand. They don't have a choice. They don't have religions like we do. They don't disobey Allah like we do. They don't sin like we do. They don't have the freedom of choice. They, uh, that's the, the main difference between animals and humans, right? One of the biggest difference. So when you talk to them about Allah, Wallahi, they understand. Wallahi, they understand. They worship Allah day and night. You just don't understand. And it was a very fascinating experience. Even the owner, I remember at the end, he was like, "Oh, so you like them?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Are you sure?" I'm like, "Hundred percent." It was. I don't know what you're talking about. It was not rebellious at all with me. He was in the beginning, of course, but it was just a very fascinating. Uh, experience subhanallah and it all because you mentioned the name of Allah to an animal and again that does not mean go to a wolf and say bismillah and expecting to be buddies with it no no, no that's not the case in that circ in, in this circumstance and this this situation maybe talking to the animal speaking to it being kind to it mentioning the name of Allah would make it less stubborn you know, do not go and Allah says, do not go and commit suicide and say, well, I'm going to mention the name of Allah and Allah will automatically save me. It doesn't work that way. You have to be reasonable in your choices. So that is uh, that regarding uh, Apple, I believe. His name was Apple, yeah. Now, feeding animals in a way is kind of earning good deeds. Again, let me repeat. When you feed animals for the sake of Allah, Allah will give you rewards what because of feeding animals. I'm going to give you a, a, an example. Something happened, a story. A man went to visit one of the companions by the name of Tamim al-Dadi. For those of you who've been listening to the major signs, specifically the Antichrist episodes series, we all know the name Tamim al-Dadi. You guys are, could guess? You guys remember? I'll give you a second. Tamim al-Dari was the companion who met, the only companion who met the Antichrist in the hadith of Al-Jassasa. Remember the hadith? By the way, he had people with him, but they were not Muslims. He was not Muslim at the time, but he was the only Muslim who basically survived and, and told the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi after he became a Muslim about the incident when he went on an island and he met the Antichrist and the Antichrist asked him a few questions. Go back to that episode. It's called the Island of the Antichrist or something like that. So Tamim al-Dari, long story short, Tamim al-Dari was the one who met the Antichrist. So way years after the Prophet Sallallahu passed away, now Tamim al-Dari, by the way, became, look at this, the governor of Jerusalem. He became the governor. Of course, uh, Jerusalem was conquered and, and, and uh, there was, you know, was conquered by Muslims after the death of the Prophet ﷺ during the time of Umar ibn Khattab when he was the leader of the Muslims. So anyway, Tamim al-Dari was the governor of Jerusalem at the time. So a man went to visit him. 
right? And that man, this is the this is actually uh, one of the tabi'un who said who was telling us the story, narrating the story. So he went. He's the governor. He's the leader, right? So he saw Tamim Daddy cleaning the food for his horse. He was like, "What? What's going on here? Why are you cleaning the food for your animal, for your horse? Don't you have people to do that for you? You're the governor, for God's sake! What are you doing?" So Tamim Daddy responded. He's like, "Yes, I do have people who would do that for me, but look at look, look at the mannerisms. Look what I mean. What I meant by the companions carried the legacy of the Prophet ﷺ when it comes to animal rights." He said, look at this, our Prophet, so he said, I have people who do that for me. However, our Prophet ﷺ told us that if someone has an animal and he or she feeds it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala writes a good deed for every grain in that food. Can you imagine? You're getting good deeds for every single grain in the food. So he wanted to do it himself to get the rewards. And by the way, we're all allowed to be selfish when it comes to rewards. Get as much as you can. That will be your currency on the Day of Judgment. So imagine this. If you have animals and you're feeding them because you don't want them to die, slip in the intention you're doing it for the sake of Allah to get rewarded. All you have to do, by the way, for those of you who have animals, and you're, you have to feed your animals out of, again, if you're a normal human being, uh, if you're doing it in a humane way, you don't want them to starve to death, right? So why are you doing that? Again, you're doing it anyway. Slip in the intention of feeding them for the sake of Allah. And for every grain, you shall be, inshallah, rewarded. For every grain in that food that you're feeding them. Can you imagine? Just feeding animals is an act of worship. You're gaining rewards. Subhanallah. You know, the Prophet Wasallam, and I believe Lakshima, Sister Lakshima also said something about this. That you know, she heard that the Prophet liked cats, and she has a cat herself, so she was excited, and she wanted to know if this is true. And there are stories about cats, and there are. The Prophet, as a matter of fact, praised cats a lot, and uh, as a matter of fact, he called them a tawafun. Uh, when he was asked, "Should we allow cats in our homes by the companions while we're praying?" The Prophet said, "Leave them. They are tawafun. They are pure, and they just walk around." You know, around us in the house, they're harmless and they are pure. They're not impure. They don't have like unlike dogs. We're going to talk about dogs in a second. Who their their saliva is impure and it nullifies your wudu, and you can't pray if their saliva in a place that it's impure. So if they stay in a place, their saliva, if they you know poop or pee or whatever, it's ruined. You have to got like you have to bleach the whole thing for you every time because you cannot pray in a najis place. A place that it's impure uh, But cats on the other hand Are the opposite They're clean and they're pure uh, Even if you know There's like some sort of dirt or whatever But they are clean by nature they're, They are pure by nature And so the Prophet yes, Always used to praise cats Another situation that shows That actually combines The, 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 the Prophet's treatment towards cats And feeding your animals uh, Aisha uh, may, Allah, may Allah be pleased The wife of the Prophet May Allah be pleased with her she said she narrated that the Prophet every time the Prophet would walk in the street, the Prophet always had a wudu vessel. A vessel that he put water in in case of he needs to make wudu on the go. Look, that's the Prophet. He always had a not to drink. Well, he would use it to drink as well, but like not to like we all walk with our water bottles to drink. 
The Prophet would walk with his water bottle, but it's for wudu mainly. And if he wanted to drink, subhanAllah, it shows you he always thought about praying, praying, praying all the time. This is something that we all know about the Prophet. Anyway, so uh, uh, Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, she said that every time the Prophet would walk in the street, he would have his wudu vessel. And every time, look at this, every time there was a cat, or there are cats in, in the streets of Medina, whenever he sees that they are thirsty, he would let them drink from his vessel. Then, look at this, whenever he wanted to make wudu, he would use the leftover water from where they drink from his vessel to make wudu. This was a recorded behavior, not a one-time thing. She said always, every time he goes in the streets, she would see him, she would be with him. Or again, other companions would see him, right? He would, if he walks by a cat, he would open the vessel and let it drink. Then, he walks again, sees another cat, opens the vessel, let them drink. Now, if there's water left, and let's say some somehow he went to the bathroom, whatever, he lost his wudu and he wants to make his wudu, he will make wudu from the leftover. It shows you that they are pure. They did not contaminate the water. Unlike dogs, if dogs drink from your bottle and their saliva touch the water, you can't drink that water, let alone make wudu with it. Uh, so the Prophet you know, would use the rest of the water, like I said, to make wudu, which shows, again, his compassion for cats. And again, in animals uh, in general. So yeah. Now, another thing that's forbidden in Islam is instigating fights between animals. That is not allowed in Islam. You know, like the, the what is it called? The cock fights or whatever that they do, fights between chicken and whatever. Animal. That's not allowed. It's haram, forbidden 100%. We're not allowed to instigate fights between animals. And another thing, so this is, again, one of the things, castrating or neutering animals is not allowed in Islam. Let's pause here for a second. What about cats? When people buy cats. Now, cats, like I said, it's halal to, to, to buy or to adopt in the house, right? What about cats? Some people require, make it, uh, a condition, a requirement that the cat will be neutered for them to adopt it or to buy it. Again, it doesn't matter. Now, scholars, the consensus of the scholars regarding this issue, that is, it is allowed. Not for you to neuter it yourself. To buy or to adopt a, an already neutered cat if it becomes a burden to take care of it if it's not neutered. Again, let me repeat. Let's say you, you, you want to adopt a cat for your children or for yourself. It doesn't matter. And you want to bring it home. You want to take care of it. You want to be good to it. You want to feed it. Uh, and you want to give it water for the sake of Allah. Now, you went to the place, whatever, the adoption place for cats, for pets or whatever. And then you, find, you found out that you, they have, you know, neutered cats. You want to bring in, because, you know, the cats that are, you know, uh, that are not neutered, they sometimes behave in a very aggressive way when they want to mate and all these things so you want to avoid all this headache by getting i want to just get a neutered cat now if this is a deal breaker for you if you won't adopt a cat because it's not neutered then in this case it is allowed for you because again the greater good is you're adopting a cat you're taking care of it for the sake of allah so again the scholars have allowed us to adopt a neutered cat, if the only way for you to adopt or to get a cat and take care of it is for it to be neutered. So that is, uh, inshallah, allowed. However, 
Declawing animals is forbidden in Islam. Declawing animals is not allowed in Islam. And for one simple reason. If you declaw an animal and then you want to get rid of it later, it won't find the means to protect itself in the wild. Or if it got lost. Let's say that the animal got lost in the wild. They're done. They're doomed because they can't protect themselves in the wild. So declawing an animal is 100% forbidden in islam and we're not allowed to do this you know to show you like also another example of the companions by the way uh, adi ibn hatim he's a famous companion used to crush bread for the ants and when people would ask him why are you crushing why are you giving ants food we trying to avoid giving food to ants and we're trying to avoid keeping food around so ants won't come and you know just get everywhere he said they are our neighbors so we have to be merciful to them do you see the level of kindness towards animals do you see the level of kindness crushing bread for ants now that's not an invitation for you to crush bread and feed your the ants in your house it's not the harm that could be done from that is far more significant than you know the good but again it shows you how they treated animals because of the teachings of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and of course the teachings of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala through the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam you know Umar ibn Khattab one time saw a man dragging a lamb by its foot to slaughter it so he said this he said woe to you by the way the word woe to you in Arabic it means shame on you basically shame on you woe to you Lead it to its death beautifully. Be merciful. Be merciful. Be kind. Don't be cruel. That's Umar ibn al-Khattab. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him. Another caliphate, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. Umar ibn Abdul Aziz was called, or his nickname was the fifth caliphate. After who? After uh, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali. So he was named the fifth caliphate, even though he came way after them. He came, I think, 50 years or something after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, around 50 years. Okay, so why was he called the fifth caliphate? It is because he was the only caliphate after Ali ibn Abi Talib, may Allah be pleased with him, to actually follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ and to follow the footsteps of the first four caliphates. That's why, theoretically speaking, metaphorically, spiritually speaking, he was the fifth caliphate, but there were caliphs between him and Ali ibn Abi Talib. Again, it was 50 years after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. Anyway, he wrote to his governor, uh, governor in Egypt. He said this. He said, I learned that the delivery camels, so they had camels just for delivery. It's like delivery trucks that we have here. So they used to, back in the day, have camels just for delivery. He said that I learned that the delivery camels carry about a thousand ratl, which is equivalent to a thousand pounds. They carry about a thousand pounds. Look at this. From now on, look at the tone. No camel under my protection shall carry more than 600 pounds. He's saying that animals are under his protection because he was the ruler of the Muslims at the time. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? 
he literally, his, the language was, no camel under my protection shall carry more than 600 pounds. So he dropped it by almost half, almost half, 400 pounds each. He dropped it by 400 pounds each. Subhanallah. So that is, again, the types of teachings and rulings that the Prophet taught the companions, and that's what they did after, long after the death of the Prophet Now let's talk about the quote-unquote, the controversial issue of dogs in Islam. Because unfortunately, a lot of non-Muslims think, and unfortunately some Muslims too, they believe that Muslims don't like, they don't like dogs, they hate dogs. We, we don't like dogs. And this is simply not true. Here's the deal. We're not allowed to have dogs in our homes because dogs are impure. Like I said, your place of worship, the place that you recite Quran in, the place that, the place that you pray in, must be pure. It cannot be contaminated by any impurity. They walk everywhere. Their saliva is impure. By the way, again, like I said, if you touch a dog's saliva you have to, and you are upon wudu, you have to go and redo your wudu. It breaks your wudu. It's that bad. Also, angels do not enter a house that has dogs. This is an authentic hadith. Angel Jibreel himself told the Prophet ﷺ, we do not enter a house that has either a dog or a hanging picture. We talked about the hanging pictures before. But now we're adding the dog part. Because of impurity, not because there's something. Allah is the one who created the dogs. Angels are also the creation of Allah. So Allah's commanding us to not have dogs in our homes is nothing against dogs. They it's, again I test Allah created an animal that has impurity. And Allah's telling us avoid that animal, avoid keeping it. No, not avoid it, like you can play with it outdoors. You can have fun with it. Your neighbor's animal, your neighbor's dog, whatever. Just do not bring it in your house. Same thing like the pigs. Allah created pigs, swine, and he told us we're not allowed to eat its meat. But we have to, you know, go against, go to that forbidden area. And all the animals are allowed, or most of them are allowed, but we like to play with the, you know, unlawful stuff. Allah's saying, dogs are fine. And actually, I'm going to tell you a story about dogs that the Prophet told us about in a hadith. But for now, you have to understand Muslims have nothing against dogs. We just cannot keep them because of their impurity. Because if you worship Allah in your house, you cannot have dogs running around in the house. Because you'll never know where they drop their saliva. You'll never keep track of them 24-7. You understand? So that is that. Now, there's a story, a hadith by the Prophet It's a beautiful story. That a man was thirsty in the, walking in the desert. And then he climbed down a well. He found a well. He climbed down a well and he started drinking water and he thanked Allah. He was a worshiper, by the way. He was a believer in Allah. From the, I believe from the children of Israel. But he was a worshiper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then after he finished drinking, he climbed back up and continued walking on the road. Then he found a panting dog. A dog out of breath. You know, like when they're like thirsty and they're like exhausted and tired. So that's what he found. Now the dog was again breathing shortly and he kept licking the dirt. So immediately the man recognized that this dog is extremely thirsty. So the man started self-reflecting, subhanAllah. This is the Prophet I'm telling us the story. He said, I was thirsty and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me water. He gave me sustenance. 
by making me find the water well. I should do the same, now the man talking to himself, I should do the same for the dog. So the man went back, went down a well, got his shoes, got one of his shoes, filled it up with water, climbed back up and went back to the dog and made the dog drink from the water. The dog felt better and started walking away or running away. That shows you something. First of all, when that man gave water to the dog, did that benefit Allah in any way, shape, or form? No, right? Okay. The Prophet told us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because of that, rewarded the man by entering paradise. He wrote him from the dwellers of paradise. Again, he was a worshiper. He was not a bad, terrible human being outside. He was a worshiper. But why would Allah do that? He did not benefit Allah well. Here's the thing. Appreciating Allah's creation is part of appreciating Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you appreciate the creation of Allah, the animals that Allah created, it's as if you're appreciating Allah in in a specific way. Appreciating Allah's creation is part of appreciating Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. You know, it's... And the man, subhanAllah, it's, it shows you. He said, Allah helped me by giving me water, by giving me the means to drink water. I should help now the helpless. And this should be our attitude as Muslims. Sometimes animals are helpless. We should help them. Allah gave you the brains. Allah gave you the intelligence. Gave you the means. Like for example, in, 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 in my backyard, there are birds that come and they eat from you know the grass, eat from whatever. And I see that and I say, Alhamdulillah. And you know, when I see one of my daughters trying to like, you know, shoo them away, I was like, no, 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 let them eat. Let them eat. We're getting rewards, inshallah, from Allah. Allah loves that. Allah likes that. Do not deny animals, birds, whatever, food and water if you can give them. Don't deny them. Because here's the thing. Allah is providing for them through you. Think about it this way. That dog was about to die. Allah took, it's not the man. Don't, don't misunderstand the story. Allah provided for the dog through the man. Do you understand? When you feed animals, when you take care of them, when you go adopt them, Allah is taking care of those animals through you. You're still getting rewards. Don't get me wrong. Don't worry. You're going to be inshallah rewarded if you do it for the sake of Allah and for good intentions. However, it's Allah taking care of the animals and also taking care of you by rewarding you for what you're doing towards those animals. It's the same concept when certain Muslims, and unfortunately certain Muslims say that. Why do I have to pay 2.5% As mandatory zakah for the poor Why? Allah gave me that money Why do I have to do? Why can't Allah just take care of them? Like he took care of me Well first of all Allah is taking care of them through you Allah is taking care of them through you If you don't want to do it Good Allah will make someone else take care of them But you will be punished for rejecting that Like I always said Taking care of the poor by spending some of our wealth is Allah taking care of both of us. We need them more than they need us. We need those rewards for the hereafter. Same thing goes for the animals. 
When you're feeding the animals, we're being kind to the animals. You need them more than they need you. Because they need you for worldly stuff. Eat, drink. If you don't do it, they'll move on to someone else. They'll do it. I promise you. Allah will take care of them. But you, you need them for rewards, for the hereafter. You need them more than they need you. Wallahi. You know, our Prophet ﷺ told us very, very profound hadith. He said, if you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show you mercy, show mercy to animals. Show mercy to animals if you want Allah to show you mercy. If you don't show mercy, if you are cruel, well, do not ask for Allah's mercy. You are cruel. Allah will not show you mercy because of your cruelty. Don't ask for mercy. Also, regarding, the, the, and I know this, a lot of people ask about this. Uh, hellfire, uh, paradise, you know, the day of judgment. What's the role of animals in all of this, right? So a lot of people ask that question too. You know, okay, Islam tells us, you know, alhamdulillah, we need to be kind. We need to, you know, treat animals well, all these things. But what's, what is basically the, 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 the fate of animals on the day of judgment? Well, it's very clear. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the, on the day of judgment, animals will be resurrected, by the way. They will be resurrected like the rest of mankind. So you'll find every single creation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created will be resurrected. Anything with soul will be resurrected on the day of judgment. Uh, now, however, there is no hellfire and, uh, and paradise for animals for a very good reason. Like we mentioned, they don't have the freedom of choice they was they were basically uh acting based on their uh you know basic instinct or natural instinct you know there they do, there is no choices between good and evil also there is a hadith but the Prophet, a very interesting hadith where the prophet saw two animals i think he was walking with abu bakr may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be, be pleased with him uh, they were walking in the streets of Medina and they saw two animals fighting each other with horns. Again, no, nobody was forcing them to do this, but they were fighting each other like uh, there was some sort of a rage between them or some sort of a you know uh, physical dispute between them, right? And the Prophet said, do you know what's going on between these two? It's a very interesting hadith. So Abu Bakr said, Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger know better. I, I have no clue, O messenger of Allah. The Prophet said, the Prophet didn't say, I know. He said, but Allah knows. And Allah shall settle their dispute on the day of judgment. SubhanAllah, look at this. Allah knows, again, Allah knows their language, right? We don't know as human beings. The Prophet said he didn't know. He didn't claim that he knew, right? But he said, Allah knows and Allah will settle whatever is going on between them right now will be settled on the day of judgment. Again, there's no hellfire, there is no paradise for them, right? There's no the unanimous consensus of the scholars. Again, everything that will have paradise or hellfire are, are those who have the freedom of choice, like who? Mankind and jinn. Those two species will be, um, either will enter hellfire or will enter paradise depending on their deeds. Animals, no. But, if there was any injustice that happened based on their basic instinct, based on their natural instinct, right? They, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will settle it. That doesn't mean punish any of them because again, animals won't be punished. Even like, you know, lions, wolves, 
some people you know i know in movies and all these things wolves are being you know portrayed as those evil animals and they will rip you apart and they will kill you which is true they will but it's not because they're evil it's their instinct their their nature right that, that's how they were created they're predators and it's not like a choice that's what they do this is in their nature right uh, unlike mankind when we are evil it is by choice there's no such thing as i couldn't help it uh, uh i do these things and i can't help it you know like i have no choice you always have a choice um so my point is there won't be hellfire uh, and there won't be uh, paradise for animals there but there will be a day of judgment for it and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will settle between them between one another if they have any kind of dispute any kind of issues that they had in this life allah will now how allah will settle between them we do not know the statement of the prophet was allah will settle their dispute on the day of judgment and of course of course don't forget that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also settle between animals and humans remember we said that Okay, animals, any dispute between, you know, between them and each other, it's fine. Allah will settle it. However, humans, who, those who committed injustices against animals will be punished. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will settle any injustice between animals and humans. And we said on the day of judgment, animals will speak to Allah directly according to multiple hadith by the Prophet sallallahu and they will say so and so did this to me so and so treated me they didn't feed me they didn't so fear Allah because that day will come so again animals will be resurrected like the rest of mankind and uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will settle their disputes with human beings those who committed injustice against them and uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will settle the injustices or any disputes that were between uh, animals and you know one another. Uh, and right after this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will command them to go back to earth. They will turn into basically dust. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will command them to turn into dust. Kuni turaba. As a matter of fact, look at this. In the chapter of Naba, verse number 40, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said what? This is a very profound and, to be honest, scary um, scene from the Day of Judgment where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that the disbeliever, you know, when, when they see what they've done in this world, they have not uh, obeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they did not believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they transgressed and they they lived life without any consequences any you know being held accountable in this life they thought that this is it that this believer the kafir will look at the animals when allah tells them go back to earth become dust turab go back and become sand or dust you you name it then that this believer will say this subhanallah I wish now I am turned into dust like the animals. The disbeliever will look at the animals again. When Allah commands them, after all the disputes are, are settled, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will command them to turn into dust. And when they turn into dust, the disbeliever will be watching this. This will happen in front of all of mankind. And the disbelievers, and as a matter of fact, from the, 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 the Muslims who are also terrible people you know the evil muslims will look at this and they will say yeah i wish i was dust like the animals because they're afraid of what 
what's going to come next on the day of judgment. They're afraid of their, uh, you know, judgment. They're afraid of like standing in front of Allah in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They'll be scared after they know after they see what they've done in this world, they will look at the animals and they will envy animals. They will say, this is a mercy from Allah that you turn into dust. Now, I don't want people to be upset, especially you know animal lovers, or that okay, we won't see animals on a day on uh, in Jannah in paradise. Yes, you will. Animals will not enter paradise according to their deeds, and they will not enter hellfire according to their deeds. However, if inshallah you make it to to, to paradise to true Jannah, and you want to ask for an animal, inshallah, inshallah, Allah will give you that animal and you shall find it there and again we know that there are like we said uh, 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 birds that will be in jannah so there will be animals in jannah and they won't be harmful they will be you know in their best forms and i'm assuming you might see animals that you've not from this world like you know uh, like subhanallah like in jannah we will see things inshallah if we get there safely we will see things that we've never imagined so do not feel sad or sorry that okay I'm gonna go to Jannah and I you know inshallah again if we go to Jannah and there will be no animals there yes they will if you want there to be animals inshallah Allah will grant you this um, so yeah that I just wanted to clarify this this point regarding you know the day of judgment and their fate and all these things so anyway I want to move on to the final story the Prophet when and the Muslims, they were heading to Mecca to perform Umrah. That story is also covered in season four. And then they stopped by the plains of Hudaybiyah. Now, when they stopped by the plains of Hudaybiyah to rest and to camp there, the camel of the Prophet, the camel of the Prophet, by the way, her name was Qaswa. The camel of the Prophet, her name was Qaswa. She stopped and refused to move. Okay. So the companions started saying, well, Qaswa became stubborn. Qaswa is not listening to the Prophet ﷺ. To which the Prophet ﷺ responded and said, look at this. By Allah, Qaswa is not stubborn and she never was stubborn. It's not basically one of her traits. She was commanded not to move by the same one who commanded the elephant not to move. So basically, there was a, a wisdom that Allah wanted the Qaswat to stop here for them to camp in that area. And again, the whole reasons behind it is mentioned in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, if you want to go back to that episode in season four. However, the moral of the story is the Rasulullah was defending his camel. So the companions were making a comment. She became stubborn. And the Rasulullah said, by Allah, no, she's not. She's not stubborn. She is stopped here for a reason the same way the elephant before Islam, by the way, the, the elephant before Islam, the story of the elephant. Remember, we said there's a chapter called Al Fil, the elephant. It basically has the story of the elephant. It was so the Prophet is, is comparing his camel, Qaswa, to the elephant. Now, to give you a very brief story, a story within a story, a brief story regarding the elephant. And we I might make a QA episode just for to tell the details because it's a fascinating story. I might I might make that this season. I might not. I'll, I'll see inshallah. But anyway, there was a, a, a king or a ruler by the name of Abraha from Abyssinia who was ruling Yemen who got mad that people would go and do hajj. By the way, this is pre-Islam. Pre-Islam. 
and we know that the people of Quraysh used to do, used to do Hajj there in the Kaaba. Kaaba was always there since you know the time of Prophet Ibrahim alayhi But they used to do it with shirk. They used to say La ilaha illallah, Allah is the only one. But he has assigned helpers, which is the the, the idols, right? So they used to commit shirk while doing the tawaf around the Kaaba. That is a fact. So anyway. So people would do that. It was shirk, 100% shirk. But people would go to Mecca and do tawaf in a shirk way. But that's how they used to do it. So that king, that he was not Yemeni. He was from Abyssinia, but he ruled Yemen. He got annoyed. So he said, I'm going to build a church. And you know that church uh, would draw people from going to Mecca into my church. He was Christian, by the way. And it didn't happen. And then he got angry because somebody vandalized the church from Mecca. Uh, to basically teach him a lesson So he took off an, an elephant They said that it was huge They said that it was a magnificent in size A magnificent elephant that was too huge And too intimidating And he basically took an army And went to destroy the Kaaba Then when he went to destroy the Kaaba Again, I, I can't, the whole story is, is long But to, to make a long story short when, it time, when, it time, when the time came for him to destroy the Kaaba The elephant wouldn't move The elephant literally stopped then they would try to turn it around and then make it go away to test it and see if it walk away from the Kaaba. It would. It would. So if when it, whenever the uh, Abraha would turn the elephant away from the opposite direction of the Kaaba, the elephant will actually would actually move. Then they would turn it back to the to face the Kaaba. The elephant would stop and would not move. And that's because of what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala commanded the elephant not to move. Allah is in control of everything control of despite what unfortunately some people might think Allah forgotten our land you know this is a forsaken land Allah forgot about us Allah never forgot about us he's still in control and he will always be in control of every little thing so Allah commanded the elephant not to move and the elephant did not move same way Allah commanded the camel of the Prophet not to move because Allah wanted them there was a sign for them to stay here to start, you know, the treaty between them and the people of Quraysh. So now I want to conclude this, uh, and 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 I hope now it's very clear the importance of being kind to animals, the danger of being cruel to animals. This is all coming from our beautiful religion, the perfect religion. With that being said, we still have to understand one thing: humans will always be above animals, and we're talking about good humans. We're not talking about evil. Humans, humans. There is a hierarchy Allah created. Animals serve humans, not vice versa. Animals serve humans, not vice versa. That's how that their purpose, literally their purpose. Okay. Some people have this notion that animals should be treated the same way as humans. That is false. That's not what Allah told us. That's not how we do it. Be kind. Do not be cruel. Treat animals well, but they're not like humans. You have to make that clear, right? Now, we take, and this is inshallah my, uh, my conclusion statement, we take our behaviors, our actions from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the actions of the Prophet sallallahu He is our role model. I'm going to keep saying this until the day I die. The Prophet sallallahu is the ultimate role model, the perfect role model. Wallahi, wallahi, you'll live the perfect life if you follow the footsteps of the Prophet sallallahu which is all coming from Allah. He treated animals in such a kind way. We should do the same. 
treating animals the way the Prophet did will gain us rewards in the hereafter. Isn't that what we all want to do? Isn't that what we're all striving to do? Gain rewards? Here you go. One simple way of gaining rewards. He was kind to animals and the companions were learning from him and they became kind to animals. And if, again, if we have the Prophet ﷺ, then the companions, our role models, then we should do the same. Again, thank you so much, on, uh, Lakshima. I hope that I was able to answer your question. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.